Just a Good Conversation, podcast number six, Trayvon Free. 30, 12, 19, 1, 1, 3, 8, 11, 6, 8, 1, 6, 6, 3, and 2. This is not his social security number, but these are his NCAA career highs as a Division I basketball player. I will let you figure out the numbers. Number two is the amount of Emmys he has in his career so far. Not bad for a kid with a bum knee. My friend, Trayvon Free. <laughs> Do you know those numbers? Uh, I think I know a couple of them. Which one is 30? 30... That's a that's an NCAA number. Uh huh. That's your career high. Minutes. That's minutes. Yeah, that's gotta be minutes. Santa Barbara. Yeah, Santa Barbara. <laughs> oh, there's so the 19 rebound game. Yep. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> you know what the one of the ones is? Uh, a f- three pointer. Oh the shit! The only one you got is that an Irvine? Yeah. <laughs> I love that I remember the one time. <laughs> the one time. <laughs> yeah. That's so funny. Uh, three is the steals. It, you had a big steal uh, day against Pacific one year. Oh. Oh, I remember that. Was it a home game? Yes. Yeah. I, I remember one of them specifically from uh, Christian Merricker. Yeah. You had sticky hands yeah. that day. <laughs> three of them. That's funny. It totally blew your average right up. <laughs> That's really funny. I love looking at those old numbers because it brings back memories yeah, for me. It's so weird that I even remember when those things happened. That you even say Christensen, like I haven't thought of that guy right. since America, then. Like, yeah, yeah right. you're like, oh man. And Gilliam Yango. Oh, yeah. That's when Pacific had trees. Yeah, they were big, man. They yeah. were, it was fun. Those were good days. <laughs> I've known you for a long time. It's been a long time, man. When you were some scared 18-year-old <laughs> from Mud Day standing in front of me, and I knew you weren't on the water polo team. <laughs> <laughs> oh, man. The, the, they still owe us a ring. <laughs> you still, well, t- we'll get into that. Hold on, let's not jump the gun. <laughs> All right, so tell me, because I've done a ton of research, and it's weird to do research on somebody you know, right? Because right? I've known you for... 17 years, I think it is. What was your freshman year? 03? 03. Yeah, so 17 years. Yeah. You were just a wee bit lad. Yeah, man. God, it's so long ago. <laughs> I know. God, September 11th was fresh. Oh, man. To even feel like that you've been alive long enough that something happened 17 years ago and you were old enough to remember things. <laughs> yeah, exactly. So what was it? And all the research I did, there were a lot of things that people hit on, but there was a lot of things that people miss that I kind of know about. So tell me what it was like, and I know what school you went to, but tell me what life was like in Compton in the 90s, because I knew of Compton very well in the 80s, mm-hmm. and it was two very different things, because I had a friend whose auntie was in Compton in the 80s. So what was it like for you growing up as a young lad? Um, I mean... It was strange because it's like that thing where you don't necessarily know just how dangerous. You don't know to be scared. Right. Right. But like people on the outside looking in are like, I would never go there right now. And you wake up there every day and you go outside and you play and you go to school and you hang out, not even realizing just how dangerous the environment actually is. So it wasn't until I went to... 
college or maybe even oh, late, late high school that I realized the true essence of the danger. Like, you know, it's there, you know, yeah. people are getting shot, you know, people get killed, you know, your parents don't want you out by, right. by a certain, certain time. Certain times, certain areas. Yeah, but you don't know statistics, you don't know yeah. numbers, you don't have information to quantify just how dangerous it is to walk outside your front door until you do. And then you're like, oh, damn, I survived that? Like, right. the odds were very much not in my favor. <laughs> right, yeah. <laughs> you were playing Russian roulette. Yeah. And people like, don't understand that. Like, I think about all the time, like, all my friends who died from childhood and the ones who still occasionally get caught up in, in the neighborhood, you're like, oh, it, any of those bullets could have found me. Right. You like, could have been on the corner, yeah. the playground. Wrong place, wrong liquor time. Liquor store. Yeah. I have friends who were killed in front of a liquor store who weren't doing anything, weren't a part of anything. Just there. Just there. And you're like, yeah, all you had to do was be in the wrong place. It's an ugly number, but I'm going to ask it. How many friends do you think you lost? Oh, man. I used to... More than I, a dozen? Yeah. That's I, tough. I, would, I used to do a joke about how we had so many friends die that we would trade obituaries like baseball cards. Right. <laughs> yeah. And it was just like, oh, you didn't go to John? I went to John's. You went to Mark. Why don't you give me a I'll Mark? I'll give you it. Like, I got an extra right. one for you. Like, you're like telling people, get an extra thing. You know, sure. like. That's not something that people understand in Irvine. Yeah, it's not, a, it's not the most common behavior. Um, but yeah, you think about, I think about, I feel like the older I get, the more successful I get. The survivor's remorse sets in a little more and more each each year. I'm go, I go like the more opportunities I get, and the more things happen. I'm like, man, like I think about all the people who died at 17, 18, 15, 16, who just like that was the end of the story. Right, it was it. And I'm the like, the future was ahead of them, and. Gone. Yeah, and it was like end of story, seventeen, like, and like I just turned thirty five, and I'm like, it's half of your lifetime. Yeah, like it's it's I'm having the time of my life, and I'm looking back, and I'm going, man, like I don't know what got me out of here, or like why I was chosen, but I hope whatever it is 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 working itself out. And where were you growing up in Compton? I was on the south side of Compton, so I was right by Compton College. I okay. lived like literally. If you walk to the end of my block, and then to the and then turn left and walk to the end of that block, you would hit Compton College. Like we were that close. Now, not that there's a Beverly Hills of Compton, but was that a better area of Compton or a? Um, no, at the time, because like the south side Compton Crips were like a big, big deal. Right. And that was their neighborhood. And so it was uh, a heavy drug and crime area. But they, you were fine because people knew who lived in their neighborhood. So right. it's like being, at yes. on, being on home turf, so Familiar to speak. Face. Yeah, like no one who, no one's going to bother you who lives in the neighborhood who's a, who, who's a gang member from that neighborhood because they all know who's who. And it's the times where you get caught 
somewhere where someone from another gang has come to shoot up something or someone. Right. And you're in the wrong place at the wrong time, which I've seen happen multiple times. And that is what becomes the like real danger because you're you're not really going to run into it from the people who live there. It's like the outsiders. Right. It's the turf wars. People it's crossing the, like, in yeah. the wrong area. Yeah, people crossing the lines. Now, was there a plus or a negative to being as tall as you were becoming at that early age? Well, the the funny thing for me is. My I existed in a bubble that I didn't know existed because my uncle at the time was a very prominent gang member. Okay. And is this on mom's side or dad's side? Mom. Okay. And they knew who I was because I was his nephew. Okay. So nobody messed with me ever. But does that put a target on you <clears throat> for the other team? If they know. Right. Okay. And so when it does it's such a weird dynamic. Yeah, yeah, it's like internally you're even more protected, but like outside of that bubble, if someone has beef with him or them and right. they know who you are, yeah, you're yeah, low hanging fruit. Exactly. Like you could be the I'll target. I'll get to him by you. Exactly. And so like I mean thankfully that never happened, but it is it's a thing that I didn't know existed until I was in high school and I got into a fight and these guys on my way home tried to jump me and it was the night it was the night of the homecoming football game <laughs> and uh they were very unsuccessful they were too small but they tried and that that day there had been a big black mexican like riot type fight right and that was happening in the 90s in compton it was switching yeah and they Every once in a while, the tensions would rise between the two, and like it would like manifest itself at school in some way. And so I was walking home. They roll up on bikes, jump off, try to fight me. <laughs> I literally am carrying a school project <laughs> that that sees the, proceeds to get destroyed. Oh no! And uh, luckily, I had already finished it. It would have been graded. Okay. Um, and I had my backpack on and my jacket, and. Uh, we proceed to have like a fight. I get one of them like in a headlock and the other one tries to like join in and we're like just like going at it. And I'm like basically kicking both of their asses. You've like, got to be a foot taller I'm, than oh, everybody e in Easily. The I was like, was this was sophomore year. So if people don't know, you're a, you're a wee bit lad. Six, seven, six, seven. Uh, I'm like 285, 290 now. <laughs> Trying to get back to 265, 250, working my way back down in quarantine. Quarantine's not helping. It's too much food around. Uh, but um, the when it was over and I went home, because they had taken my backpack oh. and had all my shit in it. And so I had to tell my mom because like I just lost all my stuff. So I right. can't not tell her. And she's like freaking out. She calls my uncle. He like he's like I'm going over there, and so uh, he come he calls me. Are you good? I'm like I'm fine. Don't have a scratch on me. Everything's great. Like they not so much, but they got my stuff. And so that night I was supposed to go to the homecoming game. That <laughs> night my mom was like, "You're not going." My uncle's like, "He's going." And so I go to the game. Maybe ten minutes into the game. I see like a huge 
flock of people walking toward the field. And huge is in what, 50, 60? Somewhere like, probably like somewhere around 40, 50 people. That's a lot of people when you're a kid. And, yeah. And they walk, like, walking toward the stand entrance on the home side. And I noticed they're like, a lot of them are wearing blue and gold, which is my uncle's colors. Oh, boy. And then they come into the game. Also, like, a lot of them go to this school, too. So a lot of Southside Crips went to my right, school. Right, sure. And. So they come into the football state, the football stands, and they just kind of fan out into the crowd. And one of the guys comes up to me and he lifts his shirt and he has a gun in his waistband. And he goes, if you see him, point him out and just keeps walking. And I was like, that's when I knew the bubble was real. Right. I was like, oh, <laughs> like this has existed around me for a very long time because some of my some of my uh, guys who were my friends, but who are also from Southside, every once in a while, they would like randomly come up to me and be like, you good? Like, you need anything? Everything cool? And I'm like, yeah, I'm fine. Like, what? Like, what are you doing? Like, <laughs> What do you yeah, mean? And I'm like, 12, whatever. <laughs> like, it's like, oh, now I get it. Now I know why this is happening. <laughs> because That's an amazing light bulb to turn on. Yeah. That you had your version of Secret Service. Yeah. <laughs> and you for, just, you know, and you little just, black kid in Compton. And you don't know it until you know it. And that was, that was like, yeah, this is different. Did that, how did that make you feel? Scared or, um, or, or. It made me feel like I had a power I didn't know I had. You know what I mean? Like right. I could fly. I could or, see through walls. Or like somebody could like really abuse their having a quote unquote like mafia style like yeah. gang at their disposal to just be like, oh, I got a problem with this person. Did you ever get the backpack back? And never got it back. It had one of my favorite jackets in it too. Oh. I love that jacket. <laughs> it lost it. <laughs> um, and yeah, it just, it was like, oh, I didn't know I, I mean, I don't have any enemies. So right. <laughs> you didn't know any better. Yeah. Like it wasn't like I had people I was ready to like dispose of. Or, like, <laughs> what do you think the beef was with them towards you at that moment when they wanted your, you know, I think it was just random spillover. Okay. Like we, because I was like only a block and a half, maybe two blocks from the school. And I lived really close to the school. Like yeah. I lived maybe a 10 minute walk from the school. Okay. And uh, so I was like, I had just gotten off the block where you could see the school. And it was just like they were riding wow. around looking for trouble. Jeez. Looking for like the first black person they saw. Right. And that's or, how it happens. Yeah. That's literally how it happens. And they found the big tall kid. Yeah, it was like, oh, he's he's carrying a school project and he's wearing <laughs> headphones. He's probably not gonna. Uh, and yeah, they were. They couldn't find the shorter guy though. How the, tall do you think you were then, your sophomore year? Uh, I was six six. Okay. Yeah. How quickly did you sprout out? Were you like the biggest sixth grader, biggest fourth grader? Oh, I was oh, like from the beginning. Like I was five nine in fifth grade. Oh boy! And then six one in sixth grade. You were taller than teachers, principals. Yeah. Six two in seventh grade. Six three, six four in eighth grade. Six five in ninth. I was six six in tenth, and eleventh was the last like year. That was it. That's tough on a kid to be sprouting up like that. Yeah. Were you aware of your height? 
Yeah, because most people were just, especially in middle school, were just right. so much shorter. Yeah. See, like you're taller than your fourth grade teacher at some point. Right. Looking at her like. like and you're like on all the sports teams. So you're, you're like, <laughs> you're with all the biggest people possible in this area and you're still bigger than all of them. You get that height from your mom or dad's side? Uh, I Well, I know. Because I've met your mom a couple of times. She's 5'9". Right. And height, your mother has the dominant height gene. So, so the, from her side, so the women on my family are tall, so my, on her side are tall, but also I had like an uncle who was six, seven. I have okay. an uncle who's like six, three. Um, people are generally tall. There's not a lot of short people. Everyone's above average height okay. for the most part. Wow. Yeah. I don't, I, my mother didn't pass that on, but that's a whole other <laughs> podcast. So, okay, this is the most important question of this whole thing I want to know is what did mom do? We, t- we chatted back and forth on this on the email, but what yeah. did mom do to keep you on the path away from the gangs and just being, you know, it's silly to say, but staying straight and not falling into the cracks of Compton? Um, because you're... She, yeah, it's... I it's feel like rare. it's a, you yeah. know it's rare. Yeah, it's like I feel like it's a combination of what she was doing and what my uncle was doing because he wouldn't let any of it come near me, which I didn't know. Like he wouldn't let them hang out with me. He wouldn't let me hang out with them. Like even the one, the kids who went to my school, like I would only see them at school. We couldn't hang out away from school because they were like living that life. And I think it was a combination of her making sure I went to school, making sure I went to class. Like there was no leeway in schoolwork or like any type of like educational thing. If I wanted to play a sport, if I wanted to do anything that had anything to do with like fun, school was going to be near perfect. And that was like just the way it was. And you took to it. You didn't fight her. No, I just like I was just naturally good at school. That's like, good. It that just helps. Was, yeah, yeah, definitely. If you're not resistant to it, it definitely helps. But like, I just, I think it's like part of the reason why like I just like being at home now. It's just like I just didn't. I wasn't an outside hangout kid. I was a like in home writing playing video games, like writing poetry and like doing shit like that. Right. Like when I was a kid or playing in the backyard, like we, we grew up in houses that had big backyards and like, so it was like, it wasn't like I ever really needed to go very far away from home. And I wasn't even allowed to go that far away to begin right. with. Right. Stay to this block, stay to that block. Yeah. And Do so not like, cross that street. Yeah. Like there was, there was definitely freedom. Like, I definitely had my fun, but I knew like I could, I could, I internally knew I'm getting too far away from home. Okay. And especially in a world with no cell phones. Right. And so you just knew like if I'm going to like, we would go to Compton College all the time and like play on the field or like work out, like run around the bleachers, use their gym, all that kind of stuff. Right. And it was your playground. Yeah. It was so close to home. It was like not a big deal. But like be back by a certain time because like obviously she can't just pick up the phone and go, where are you? So it's like if you're not back by this time, don't make the thing was don't make me come look for you. Oh, boy. Don't make me come look for you because that's going to be embarrassing. And what was the time? Do you know? It depended on on the day. Year, school, summer. Like it was 
one of those things where I got a lot of freedom because I got good grades and I never really got in trouble, especially as I got older. Like the only time I ever got in trouble in school was like I would finish my work first and then the teacher would say I was talking to disturbing other students. <laughs> like it was always that kind of thing. It was never like I'm just like the bad kid. It was always like I'm too smart for my classes. And then they, they had to put me in harder classes. And so I ended up getting put it getting getting moved from regular classes to like the like what they call like gifted classes right. or whatever. The advanced gate, yeah, whatever they yeah, want to yeah. give the little fun yeah, the name little acronyms, to. Yeah. yeah. And then from that point on it was like, oh, I never really got in trouble again. Cause like the work was more adequate to what I could do. And see, I've always looked at you as a unicorn. Cause okay, so I knew you at Long Beach State when I was a team photographer there. I always look at all my athletes as my kids. The first thing that I always would ask is, how are your grades? Because most people, that's not what they ask. As you're, you're rebounding, you're coming up in the next game, I right. always wanted to know, because it's a good icebreaker, and automatically, it's one thing someone doesn't ask. ADs don't walk up to you and ask, how are you doing in this, right. how are you doing right. in And when you, I could see that you were getting your academics done. So for you to be able to do that at an early age, that takes a lot of pressure off of mom. Yeah. She didn't have to like beat on you to be like, stay in the house and get your work done. So you actually helped her out in that regard by not being a yeah. rebel with the schoolwork. Yeah. And then you have this magical secret bubble you didn't realize until <laughs> <Right>. <laughs> some fight with three guys or whatever right. it was. Right. You, they're probably like, yeah, I got that kid's backpack still to this day. Right. I, I always sometimes I do wonder like, what did they do with it? Like they probably just tossed it or like yeah. went through it and see what they could find. They could keep and just just tossed it in a trash bin somewhere. Had you looked, it was probably a block away. Right. right? In right, a trash exactly. can. Yeah. Right. They didn't take it home. It's not mounted on the wall or being held for eBay. <laughs> right. So was basketball something you fell in love with or was the height? the reason basketball became your sport? It was like when I was like 10, like around 10 or 11, it was a suggested activity to give me something to do because of my like boredom at school. Okay. That's and, interesting. And I, it was like, he should he's tall and everybody like try basketball and and I I they put me on a a like park league team and I was like 11 playing with 13 year olds and I was still better than most of them <laughs> and then it just became like oh like this is what and that just kind of made it that just became like oh I like doing this and the only way I can keep doing it is if I don't get in trouble or do it like whatever and so school equals sports exactly and it was like as long as I get good grades I can keep playing sports the funny thing is like as much as I loved playing the game I hated before the game so much like I would get intense anxiety before every game really yeah all the way through like up to high school like at when I at just overwhelming anticipation just Butterflies? I think, yeah, like just, I literally, I think it didn't stop until maybe ninth grade. Okay. 
But what was that reason? I don't, Immaturity? I don't know because like it was like as soon as the game started, it would go away. Like, yeah, okay, that's as, natural. Yeah. As soon as I started, as soon as the, that whistle blew, it was like not existent. But ever like I can remember intensely like pregame just I would literally not do warm ups. I would go in the bathroom <laughs> and just like hide in the bathroom. <laughs> and I would little I would do just like a, nerves. I would do just... a, yeah, I would do a little bit of layup line. And then I was like I and I look up and it's like, oh there's ten minutes left in this like pre game warm up. Can we just get this? I gotta get started? A, yeah, like can we just start the game? Like can we just walk in the gym and play the game? And for so long I I don't know what I think maybe I just had this fear of like is today the day I'm not gonna play good? You know what I mean? Like right. I don't like is the only thing I could really trace it back to of like fear of not playing well because everyone's putting all this pressure on you, especially like being so young, playing with older kids and winning. Like we were like my park league team, the first year I played, we won the championship. Like the banner is still there right now with our names on it. Like wow. three, like three years in a row. And then I started playing on like AAU teams and like better teams. I remember we played this game in this one tournament and we beat the first team we played so bad that they just gave us the trophy. What? They just like they Here, were like give it to you? It was it was so bad. That we were literally toying around with him. Like, we were, like, half-court spinning, <laughs> throwing the ball behind our backs to each other, throwing lot. Like, it was... Just crazy. It was it was embarrassing. And we were so young at the time. Like, when I think back on that now, I'm like, oh, that's such a dickish thing to do. But you're But 12, we're, like, 13, yeah. 13, like, right. 12, 13, 14 at the most. And you're like testosterone's yeah, flowing. You're just like, you don't know any better. We're supposed to win, right? <laughs> and if we if we score 150 points, we just it's we were, your job to stop me too. Ex- by the exactly. way, exactly. As the coaches, you guys can say enough. You guys can throw in the flag, right. but you don't. You just let us destroy these kids. <laughs> so <laughs> we was like, well, this is what we're here for, and it was like that. Just kind of because basketball became an all-year-round thing. It's like... For you, it did. Yeah, it's like you're playing summer league, spring league, fall, you go to school, and then you start preseason. And Were you, you enjoying it? Oh, yeah, I was loving it. Okay, because, you know, there's some kids that at some yeah. point, they're just like, no, no, I, I'm doing this because my friends are dragging me or no, my I, uncle's I, telling me I'm great and I got to be on this team. No, I loved it. I, I, I hated practice, but I loved playing the games. Like, practice gets more fun as you get older but like when I look back when you understand it yeah I look back at the guys I was playing with I'm like there's so many NBA guys who I played with growing up who'd you play with did you play with like uh, Chandler like Tyson Chandler was on my high school team your what probably your freshman year yeah my freshman and sophomore year okay but like the AAU teams you're playing with like that's a I'm like Aaron Aflalo, Gabe Pruitt, Brandon Bass, like you name it. Like you're just playing with all these guys who were like at the time the cream of the crop of high school basketball, the future of basketball. Like that that era from 99 to 2003, if you go back and look at the McDonald's All-American teams from oh. those four years, which I just did two days ago. Because <laughs> <clears throat> someone asked me about me playing high school basketball, and I'm like, I played in like probably – the last truly great era of 
high school basketball where like LeBron James was in my class. Like right. LeBron, me and LeBron played in the same tournament. Right. And was that go, the one up in the uh, Poly Pavilion? No, that it was the the ABCD in in Vegas. Okay. Yep. And you look at the rosters of these teams from those from that year, those years, and it's like a lot of them are either still in the NBA, had amazing careers, won championships, or were just some of the best college players of like the last 20 or 30 years. Right. And it was just was such a, a weird like I someone can make a documentary right about on that, that four that years. That block. Like that like that block of players. You go back and look at those those lineups and it's just insane. Like the, now, the people who I've had this conversation and a lot of guys say it's because of the ability that the AAU helped them. When I played, it was basketball and that was it. That yeah. wasn't year round. Yeah, just the so season. So now all of a sudden these eleven 12, 13-year-olds are playing year-round. Yeah. And then, boom, I'm yeah. going to be better. Yeah. I'm just going to... I'm playing better players. I'm on better teams. Yeah. Do you think you had that help you? Oh, for sure. I mean, like, we were, like, playing against guys like Eddie Curry, Dewan Wagner. Oh, yeah. Like, just the the amount of guys... Just major talent. Major NBA just talent. insane... The insane amount of talent that when I was looking at those rosters and I was like, man, I played against a lot of these guys or with a lot of these guys. And it was like, now you look at AAU basketball and people for the most part are isolating one or two guys or like that guy might be an NBA star or that guy might be like a big NBA player. Right. But it's like one offs. It's like. It's like, and it's like Mike. There's no like the next LeBron James. But in that era, you look at those rosters and you're like, NBA All Star, NBA All Star, NBA All Star. Yeah, those McDonald's, like you said, those McDonald's teams were just loaded. And it's it was such a crazy, crazy time period for that. Those guys, like in that particular four year period of like. Carmelo Anthony, Chris Paul, like they were all in that four-year gap. Right. It's so crazy. <laughs> Best player you ever played against? Ooh. Because um, that four-year, you know, between your freshman year and your senior year, you could have had eight different years of people. Yeah, like the the best player I think I played against I would probably say like Tyson in practice, but in terms of a game against another team, um, there was this guy. And see, I know you're going to say this. There's these guys that I feel so bad for that had these moments and they slipped through the crack. Like yeah, you might have played him and he was against Fairfax or whatever. He, he was unbelievable and just. I just read his name on. He was a McDonald's All American, and I played against him. White guy from Texas, big white guy from Texas, in uh, a tournament in LA. Um, like when I think back at the guys who gave me the most, the biggest challenge, it was I'm gonna look up his name just so I can tell you. <laughs> well, okay, so I remember covering, I think it was Santa Ana Valley, for the Register, and I think his name was Elijah Wood. Is that right, Elijah? Yeah, yeah, and. and he, he was one of those guys that were supposed to be the next 
in the line and he got caught up in the UNLV thing and then it was having kids and you know he's having I think he had two or three kids at an early age and then school and it was just a mess and it never happened for a guy like that and there's so many of those guys there's a lot of those guys when you look at those rosters too who were like oh man you were like the shit at the time or you were like or you had such a promising future and then they kind of just like fade away well like uh, Shea Cotton yeah, exactly. Right? Like Shea Jay Cotton, Cotton was, was, was was who was better than what Kobe was because Kobe was a was not the guy. Right. He was supposed to be way better than what LeBron was ever. Like he was supposed to be it, and it never happened. Did you ever play against Shea Cotton? No, I don't think so. Because you would have had to have been AAU or something. Because that was the. 90. Oh, Chris Humphreys was on the team. I played against Chris Humphreys when he was at when he was at Minneapolis. Remember Minnesota? Yeah. Um, okay, I think he was on the 2002 team because he was not on this roster. But I have to tell you his name because he deserves to. Brad Buckman. That name sounds familiar. Six foot nine, 230 pounds from Austin, Texas. This dude was an athlete. Just, just, just gave it to you all day? Just unreal athleticism. Just like a monster. <laughs> like I remember Were it like it surprised? was yesterday. Insanely. I was not expecting. Not on the radar. Like had never heard of him. And where do you guys go head to head at? At, at, at um, um, Cal State Dominguez. There was an Adidas tournament. Okay. And... I mean, this guy was just like dunking like a fucking machine. Like, <laughs> just it was. I, I at that at that point, I was like, "What am I even doing?" Really? Like, because you were no slouch. I mean, you were one hell of a player. I was the McDonald's All American nominee. Right. Like, I was one of the top 100 players in the country. This guy was eating your lunch. Yeah, I mean, he was in the game, so he's yeah. top 20. <laughs> he's like, <laughs> like, like, I was just like. Jesus, this this dude, I mean Texas strong, serious like, hops, just insane like hop, a, just a built like six a farm nine, boy, just big old, yeah, strong just a dude. truck. And then the it's funny because he comes to mind, and then Brandon Bass comes to mind. Okay, and so the the first time I ever played against Brandon, we were on the same team. But it was he was getting he was a new addition to our team and we were at practice. And our coach was like, This is Brandon from Louisiana. He's gonna be joining our team. And he's just like you if you see Brandon Bad, he's a big, strong dude. Like he's a big dude. And he was also in Downs All American, also was in the game, so top twenty in the country. And we start playing, and in my head I'm going, like, oh, this guy is gonna try to come and like take my my minutes and so I don't know anything about him and we start we start playing and I I go to like wait for a rebound and it felt like a Mack truck just hit me <laughs> like knocked me into the backboard post and I had never played against someone so physically strong in my life he's a man body just unreal strength for a 15 or 16 year old like and he's just like massive all muscle and I, I literally asked him what are they feeding you <laughs> and like what do you eat 
And he was just like, oh man, you know, like we eat crawfish and like all. He's just like naming food in Louisiana. Right. It's like, but I'm like, how are you this strong? Just and you're we're the same age. Just blessed. And you're like, you are a man. <laughs> and so after after he knocks me like off the court. Uh, you remember Marcus Dove? Yeah. Marcus Dove was on our team. And Marcus goes, oh, man, you going to let him do that to you? Next time down, I dunked on him. <laughs> and it was like the only thing. I was I was so happy it happened because it was like otherwise I'm just getting punked like this whole fucking like this whole game. But like at least I was able to like do one thing to be like, look, I'm not a bitch. OK, yeah. like you gotta, I'll give you something. Yeah, yeah. You might be like way fucking stronger than me but like I'm not gonna just let you come in here and bully me <laughs> and uh like it was it was him and those two dudes in an actual game uh Mercedes Lewis was also a big one. Oh yeah I mean, that dude's a fucking NFL player right like, a tight end yeah like these dudes were just so strong man it was just like you play like you knew because you played so many games that they were so far above average strength for players you played against, it was so recognizable. And it's like, how are you guys this strong? Like, we all work out, we all lift weights, we all train, we're playing year-round basketball, but somehow you guys are like men. It's like, funny for they're starting to become a cream of the cream of the elite. Like yeah, you're like top one hundred and still now the top 10 there's yeah, a difference like even just like that's the difference like oh you're just physically different right <laughs> you're a 15 year old man I'm a 15 year old very gifted boy exactly like like I don't weigh 215 pounds with 3% body fat yeah, at 15 or 16 like right. you guys are like in here looking like fucking dudes. Apollo Creed yeah like, you're dudes and it's crazy and everyone's pretty much thin <laughs> basketball guys like the post player maybe he's 15 pounds heavier than the, the everybody else on the court but like these dudes were just like unreal just <sighs> crazy what other um, dude do you think you uh Josh Childress oh yeah was a uh, cause he was just so fucking tall man like he was tall and athletic and he could shoot, so he was just hard to guard. So then that's, yeah. He's just really hard to guard. Did you play center at this point? Yeah, I was still playing four or five. Okay. Um, but those were the guys where you just like, I remember. Right? Like, I remember those games where he was just like, man. So when did recruiting start for you? Because now they're recruiting these poor kids at seventh and eighth grade. Oh no! Were you feeding, feeling college recruiting starting by like your junior year? Um, it probably started tenth grade. Okay. Yeah. Well, once I like once I was because I got moved up from freshman to varsity, and like once I was on that team, the letters started coming. Right now they're going to the games. They're seeing yeah, the they're freshman seeing quality. You, yeah, they're seeing you play and. Uh, that's when the letters started, 10th grade. And you start meeting scouts, recognizing them, knowing their names, and like sure. seeing them at games. Like played, and We played in front of Coach K one, in one tournament. Yeah, one uh, of those tournaments they show up. Yeah. Vegas um, or somewhere. Yeah, it was, uh, yeah, it was pretty, pretty early. And did, have you ever, at this point, left California? Have you made trips abroad? So um, if, a, if a Kentucky or a Louisville was recruiting you, you wouldn't no, be? No, at, at this point, 
the the first time I ever left the state was our tenth grade season or preseason for basketball. We, yeah, we were like traveling all over, uh, all over the country. Cause oh no, I take that back. I mean, I guess all the all the like going to Vegas tournaments and things of that nature. But mom just, never took you on trip to go no. see somebody in North Carolina no, or we never, Minnesota we never went anywhere. And so yeah, basketball was the first real traveling the country like that my that 10th grade season we're like we're in delaware we're in new jersey delaware we're nobody like, needs to go to delaware yeah, nobody right? needs to. i know that tournament was crazy portland um we were like all over the place that season playing in so many tournaments um you know so that's interesting here you got this kid from compton and uh-oh, because of basketball he's getting to travel Everybody else in the neighborhood staying in the hood. Yeah, pretty much. That's luck. If you're not on the team, you're not going anywhere. We're going to be right back after a quick break for our sponsor. So then how did you find your path to Long Beach through all this recruiting mess? Because Long Beach was 12 miles from home, basically. Well, for a while, like, Brown was making a hard play. And I thought Brown, the, the NCAA powerhouse men's basketball, <laughs> yeah, Brown, exactly. Brown from University, Rhode Island. It was like right? making the- a hard push, and I was like, "Oh, look, an Ivy League school. That's interesting. That's cool." And uh, Princeton was also like hanging around. I got an academic offer from Duke, and so, but I was like, never. I don't flinched I, and thought about it. Well, it was like, am I going to go try to walk on at Duke? And then never play a single minute of college basketball, but probably win a ring. Right. <laughs> it's like a lot of guys do. Yeah, they do. And I was I really wanted to play. I really thought I should be playing. And so when Brown fell out of the mix because they wanted me to retake a math class, I had I had straight A's. My cumulative GPA was 3.99. And they wanted me to retake a class, but it was like, they didn't tell me until after the school year was over. What? They, almost over. It was like almost graduation. I'm like, well, what about retaking this math class in the summer? And it was a calculus class, and I fucking hated math. And so <laughs> I'm like, I, I got a C. You know how hard that C was to get for me? Like, You put um, your ass into it. Yeah, just to get that C. So it was like, I'm not, this is not for me. And so Long Beach and UC Santa Barbara were really making the hard, hard play after that. And uh, okay, but that is such. We're talking Brown, yeah, and Long Beach State. You that's a huge difference in like region, yeah, quality of school. Nothing against Long Beach State, but we're talking Ivy League school, okay. And then Long Beach is kind of known for basketball, but they're not a powerhouse by any means, right? Brown, I have no, I don't even know if they had men's basketball until you just said it, (laughs) (laughs) like, yeah. And how do you decide, okay, between those two? Well, it started, it, it became, well, if you're not going to go to, like, Brown or somewhere far away, my grandma and everyone was like, why don't you just stay close to home and we can help you with this and that. And it became, like, that whole thing. And when you're, like, right. 17, you're, like, if you're not, like, if Coach K's not beating down your door or something like that, you're just, like, Okay, like it's still a Division One school, right? And it's like all the you thing- can come to the games. Yeah, it won't be like, too far. Yeah, mom and everyone can come and everything. I can still so, live at home or have a cooked meal. Right. And- 
do and my laundry. It, it just kind of like, it's like, all right, like this will, this will do. <laughs> and you second guess yourself now? No, I don't. Cause I, I feel like that's good. Way, I feel like the way everything worked out. Cause like making I, that decision as a 17 year old is big. Yeah. I, I don't, I feel like the life I have now is so much better than what I could imagine it would be if I got injured at Brown and there wasn't like Hollywood writer professors who were like teaching writing classes and right. doing that. Like, I just, you think about that kind of that weird, yeah, that what that path would have looked like and what I'd be doing had I not stayed in LA or stayed, stayed here. Um, and as yeah, like, you might have turned up being an entrepreneur or, yeah, or like working yeah, on what, Wall Street or some shit. I right. don't know. Like, and I just, I have so much fun on a daily basis doing the things I do now. And I'm like, there's, I, I, there's no way I would want to even see what the other thing looks like. Cause like, so you thank that 17 year old for making that stay at home decision yeah, for grandma. Like it, it really, I don't imagine going to Brown would have made my NBA prospects any more greater. No, at that point, <laughs> not at all. So Duke would have, but yeah, exactly. But like not, uh, Brown was an opportunity yeah. for a career path. That's yeah. it. It yeah, wasn't right. an academic or it wasn't an athletic path. No. Yeah. It was like, Oh, you're going to walk away with an Ivy league degree, which will open doors. Right. That and, you can never imagine. Right. It. But other than that, it was just like, all right, well, this has worked out great. Like, <laughs> <laughs> yes, it has. So, um, yeah, I'm just like, I, I don't, I don't, I don't regret it. I, every time I think about it, I'm like, I think I did the right thing. Like this is, you just feel like you're on the path you're supposed to be on. And, and you stated the writers at Long Beach State. That only really happens because of the bad knee. Yeah. So if you come into Long Beach State, tear it up, start every game. Right. You're perfectly healthy for right. your career. You're still not the person you might be who you are today. Yeah, I might have like been playing like in some foreign league right, or something. Finishing or doing, up your career in Turkey right yeah, now. Exactly. Like trying to still chase that thing. And I'm like, I'm no desire. <laughs> so you're one bad meniscus away from not becoming the person you yeah, are today. Exactly. It made me everything I am. <laughs> Who knew? It's, Bailey helped you out. Yeah, <laughs> man. He really did. It's so what I was just thinking about him the other day. Uh, so that's what you're going into your sophomore year, the knee goes bad? Uh... Or is it no junior? sophomore year? Sophomore year, right? Yeah. So like, you didn't even get two games in, didn't it? Doesn't it? We we got through the preseason, and then when we got that's back, two games, right? Dominguez or, Hills and whoever we played weird teams back um, then. We we'd had a we'd had a, a few games, maybe like ten or so, because we played the Hawaii tournament. Oh, okay. And it was when we got back from Hawaii. And then I'd had that good game coming out of Hawaii, which is how I got to start in Santa Barbara and SLO. And it was after that game at SLO, the practice that we had coming back from that game was when it happened. Interesting. See, it's funny because the progression of knowing the athletes over the four years, I knew you more or better after the knee injury 
because you sat around yeah. on the bench yeah, just just, in a place yeah, that right. you were uh, running around on the court. Didn't have anywhere to go. Nothing to do. Yeah. Do do you look back at that time period with the knee and realize honestly how like that helped you? Yeah, I mean, I feel like yes, there were the writers, there were the you know. We've talked about this joking and stuff, but if it's not for the knee, yeah, I mean, when I think about my life and the things I enjoy, and I think about my the friends that I still have some contact with who are NBA players or like living that kind of life, it's like it's great because you're rich, but it's. I don't think it would have been as fulfilling for me because I enjoyed, I always enjoyed so many other things that weren't basketball. Like, I feel like what Kobe was trying to do when he retired is what I would have wanted to do the whole time. Right. Like, I would have wanted to write things and make things and do things. And I could have, I could see myself starting to care about that more than the game because it wasn't like I was going to be like LeBron. Or right. Kobe, or like any, even like you would have been eight teams in eleven years. Exactly. Like I wouldn't have been like I would have been a journeyman. I wouldn't have been like a guy who is like I just would have been a guy who made a lot of money right. over the course of moving from to ten different states and just been a guy who played pro basketball and which is fine. But it's just knowing that I I would have wanted out probably way earlier. Can you imagine re- being retired right now at 35? <laughs> right. <laughs> and like, you're just taking off like a rocket yeah, right now yeah. instead of landing. Yeah. It's, it's so crazy. That would be miserable. Yeah. Because you're so happy on this up path. Yeah. I can't imagine you sitting there going, now what? And your body's broken. Yeah. Like, your hips hurt. Your yeah. knees, you walk funny. You're, you're just a mess. Yeah. And, you gotta, and you're having a like 30-something midlife crisis. How's the knee? Uh, they are they make noise now when I get up which is interesting it's just like I was like man my I, I was like I was a little concerned I was like why do my my knees creak and it's like apparently like the cartilage can like start to dry out and you gotta like you need some WD-40 yeah, yeah, in you your gotta knee? like take like vitamins or something to lubricate your joints or whatever from Welcome wearing them out so much yeah it's like <laughs> It's so crazy. Every time I get up, I'm like, here it goes. It's like, it's so loud. (laughs) It's like, this is what what aging feels like? Oh, man. All right, so there's not many things I keep. And from from our relationship, like, I've been fortunate. We we did some photo shoots, and, like, there's pictures with the kids. And, you know, Malcolm says to say hello because he wants to reenact the ice cream (laughs) photo and stuff. (laughs) That's funny. Yeah, and... They they love the fact that they could say that their their biggest friend is six seven. You know, <laughs> suck it. Nobody else has tall friends like them <laughs> and stuff. But I kept the email you sent out that night. So I come back from the workshop, and I, I don't even know why I checked my emails, but there's the email. I am by, and I read it, and I go, okay. I go in. I brush my teeth. It's like. 12.30 in the morning. And so it's like, oh, what's going on? I said, everything's great. Workshop went well. Trayvon's by. <laughs> I put my head down the door. And she's like, 
wait, what? What? You can't. <laughs> and there's things in a marriage you can't say trying to go right. to bed. Like, if I'd have said, oh, I got a ticket, she'd have been okay. <laughs> right. <laughs> uh, I ran over a hooker. Oh, that's not a problem. That's Eddie's thing. But, but I kept that email. I have it. It's flagged. And it's like one of those like unbelievable moments like through a friend that was like, that is so bold, so daring. I've spent 30 years of my career with athletes and people. For you to go out there and go, here I am, this is me, deal with it. Like, I can't reach how high I could high five you, but I thought, <laughs> man, that was, that's great. I don't want to say it's ballsy because, you know, but right. it's, it was great. It was a fantastic thing. What finally said for you, okay, I got to do this? Because um, you can look back at it now and be like, sure, but yeah. you had to hit enter. Yeah. I mean, it was, it was one of those things where I got into a point where my, I was having so much fun with my friends and everyone privately who knew and you get to a point where like you just kind of outgrow the box right and you start to feel like this has to the secrecy has to end because I feel like I'm carrying this boulder around every day and you're like worried about who might know and who might not know and like so silly, all these things. Right? Yeah, and you're like, oh, I could just not do this ever again. I could just be done with it. Like you get to a point where you're like, okay, once you understand you no longer need the people in your life who won't accept you and you can live with that, it changes everything. Oh, that's such a good point. It absolutely. And once I got to a point where I was like totally fine with no matter who had an issue or whatever not being in my life, I was like, oh, I just like, I literally don't care anymore. And because I felt like I believed enough in my own abilities that I was going to make something of myself that would dispel any misidea you might have about me as a person or right. people like me that you would regret it. Like if you're like a family member. Right. And it's, those things, yeah. it's, like, it's like you can like have a problem now, but like there's going to come a day where you're going to want some money from me. And it's gonna be very I'm, yeah. It's gonna be very easy for me to 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 not answer the answer the phone right. And and that was a product of me feeling like I know I'm gonna make it because this thing that I'm doing I can feel how much I enjoy pouring myself into it. And that was me. That gave me the confidence to also just like if I'm gonna do it I'm gonna do it authentically. I'm gonna like. I'm going to I'm not going to get any job or anything pretending to be something I'm not because then it just feels fake. Right. And so I didn't and I also didn't want to spend the bulk of my like 20s 
like dodging. Yeah, like if I like fell in love with someone, having to keep it a secret, and it was just not how I wanted to live. And I, I got to the point where I was just done. I was just done. I'm like, no more. Like I, and it just you just feel like the biggest weight off your shoulders when it's when it's over. You just get to like. You didn't start to relearn how to live openly because you're like, oh, I don't have to like pretend like I don't like this post or this thing, right? Or like, yeah, or this photo. They might see my post. like on. Yeah, exactly. Oh, no. Like, exactly. You're yeah. like, oh, I don't have to pretend. I can just be who I am, and like, that's fine. There's a community of people who are accepting of me and understand. And Either then you don't, or you yeah. do. And that's what it was. Basically, it was just like. Here I am being free. And it was it was also funny because I kept hearing about, oh, this person said this, or like they know this about you, or whatever it was. But the funny thing was like, it would always be like, this person knows, but the how they know was not, was wrong. <laughs> like it was some made up or fake rumor about something I had done that I had never done. And I'm like, well, that's interesting. It's like, where did this start? And so I remember... <laughs> this uh, telephone, bad game? Yeah, I remember uh, someone who I, who I won't name told me about something someone was saying about me uh, behind my back while I was still, like, my senior year of college. And apparently this person, who was one of my teammates, found out... And was just basically trying to tell anyone who would listen. But no one cared. <laughs> and I guess he wanted it to be a bigger deal to people than people want, were making it. Just to be that guy. Yeah. And so uh, when I found out, I was like, oh, that's so, that's so funny. Because I remember after the fact, when I found out that this was happening... Talking to individual players, and then being like, "Yeah, like we didn't give a shit." Right. And I remember like you the, score points. Period. Yeah. End like, of story. Yeah, like we were like they were like yeah who like you were our you were our brother like, you were our teammate like we didn't care. And I remember that whole year, and looking back on it, knowing that they knew pretty much the whole season, but no one said anything. Right. But also, no one treated me differently. Which was like interesting, an interesting like reverse case study of like, oh, like they knew and everyone acted fine, like no one was weird in the locker room or anything. Um, and but think, I didn't. Yeah, I was gonna say, do you think in your head you were hoping it wouldn't be bigger, like if someone knew? Yeah, I mean, I like in my I I didn't. I'm glad it wasn't an issue, like because I feel like if it was, it would have become one during the season when he was telling everybody. Right. But because. He was telling everyone, and no one cared. It, it was just, just went like, away. It just like, and I didn't find out until after the fact. And it was so funny because when I asked, well, how does he know this about me? Because I was like very secretive. Like I didn't, I didn't go to like clubs or anything or right. do anything. I was just like, it was just a thing that like one or two people knew, and they were like, he said, he's. He said he saw you, or someone told him they saw me kissing some guy at a club. And I just laughed because 
one, I had not only had I never been to a, a gay club before at that time, I had never kissed a guy before at that time either. <laughs> so I'm like, okay, someone made up a story in order to tell this story, to validate telling this story. And what it made me think was, I think he probably knows someone who's not straight or is he himself doing things right. where he came across either someone who knows me or some like profile I had somewhere. Right. And cause there were like, there were like websites and blogs, like community places you could go at the time. It wasn't mm-hmm. like, this was like fucking early. There was no grinder and shit like that. Right. It was just like, Hey, here's a place for you to be with like, with like-minded people. Right. If you want to talk to somebody Let's and, just like, talk. Yeah. and like blog about shit and, and my guess was like, I think he was trekking somewhere in that regard. Stumbled upon it. Yeah, and and needed a way to tell people without indicting himself. And it was just so funny that like the the reason was so wrong on so many levels that it was just I just laughed. I was like, this is like this must have been like well, this must be what it's like when you're a celebrity reading tabloids about yourself. Right. And you're like that's so funny. I don't even know that person. <laughs> like, it's like, I don't even do like that thing. And so I wasn't there. Yeah, I wasn't even, it was, it was so funny. But at that point, I was like, oh, that's hilarious. But yeah. That's bullshit. Yeah, it's, it's, it's complete <laughs> bullshit. <laughs> now, uh, on your Long Beach State graduation degree, it says criminal justice. Am I correct? Right? You were supposed to be Secret Service or yeah. a lawyer or Some, something, man of the world. something with crime. Yeah, something with crime. From a kid who didn't commit any crime from the hood, <laughs> he goes to criminal justice, yeah, well, blows out the knee, and becomes funny, funny, haha. Yeah, that was a, a great departure from. With, I mean, let's say your freshman year, were you ever. Uh, exploring writing in a sense that you thought where you're at now? Because um, criminal justice and writing are... Eh, that's not even together. I wanted, I wanted to be a film major, but I couldn't because of the time away from basketball it would take. Because okay. it, it demands so much of your time doing projects and things of that nature that I just wouldn't have been able... Yeah, you could complete the degree or like something was going to suffer. And they were giving me a scholarship, so they weren't going to let that be the thing. And so I my the other thing I loved was psychology and criminal like the criminal took, aspect of it. Well, I think it's our when the, when I when I I took psych I took a psych and a sociology class, which I loved. But then when I took the criminal psychology class, I was like, "Oh, this is even more fascinating." And um and when I was looking at the, the the classes, they were all just so fascinating and so cool. I was like, oh, I think I'm going to do this instead of just doing regular psychology. Because I'm like, I'm not going to become a therapist. Right. I'm never going to become a psychiatrist. So if I get a psych degree, it'll just be to have. And so why not do a psych emphasis on something interesting that like you can have some like knowledge about something so specific like there's crime in the world <laughs> like <laughs> a lot of crime a lot of yeah so like why not have some type of insight into it so that was what kind of drove me into that direction well cuz i picked up on it early i think is it your f- senior year when the ice house or is that afterwards because that was 
because Scott Waterman was there. Yeah, that was so was he at, he must senior have year, I think. Yes, because yeah. remember we talked about if you won it, could you accept the money yeah. and lose your scholarship? Yeah. Which, well, we know how that worked out. <laughs> yeah, that was but funny. When, and I don't remember how I found out about the haha funny comedy writing, but when it did and we talked about it, I knew I had to be a part of it because I saw there was something there. I see a lot of athletes with an idea, but yours was like glued together, ready. I got yeah. I got this thing. <laughs> and it was like the best night spending with a former athlete because you were like scared to death. Yeah. Just like, could, could you have been whiter than a ghost? You almost oh, did man. on stage. Like it those was, stage photos are fantastic. Oh, it was so crazy. Like the, it was that basketball thing all over again of like, insane nerves and then when you're up there it's like oh I just be here right and because I couldn't do video that I, and then I was so I was recording audio and I have all this you, I gotta get you the audio the night in the is this the night at the I, I, the, is this the night that I won to be in the finals or the actual finals where it went horribly finals where it went horrible oh man where you and the guys said the, the same, same joke. joke yeah Fuck, I remember that. Every time I think about that, I'm like, man. The worst part, I because he had done it first and you went, and the part when you said it didn't hurt my soul as a parent, it was the crowd's reaction. Yeah. <laughs> I remember it very well. Watching my son I'm on stage get kicked like, in the nuts. Like, it's it's the most, it's one of those, It's imagine it's like you're turning the corner on the street you live on that you've done a, a million times and you know that your driveway is the second on the left and you're going to mindlessly turn into it and get out of the car and go in the house and you turn the corner and your house isn't there. <laughs> and you're like, no, my house is always there. It's supposed to be there. That's how this works. I turn the corner, my house is there. And it was, it was like, I know when I say this, they're supposed to laugh. And I say it and the rhythm of like my brain ex expecting the laughter and where I'm going right. to go next just completely cut just broke i forgot every joke after that you did because it was built the the my remembering was built into the rhythm of that thing and so i couldn't i literally could not remember the rest of the set cuz i was so thrown off by the reaction that like it was complete silence and and I don't know if it's a tick you have or something, but you will a lot of times go on stage with a water bottle. I thought you were going to squeeze the bottle's <laughs> life out of it if it had one. Like, <laughs> that, that 12 ounce water bottle was getting smaller and smaller and smaller. I, I literally could not wait for that to be over. Like it could not have been over sooner. And especially because I was so new to stand up. Yeah, you were a kid. You I were... didn't I didn't know any new ways to land the plane. I didn't know there were other ways. like now it's like a joke doesn't work. I have a million fucking right. ways Just... to like get out of that situation, but like at the time and it's a contest. It's not a set. <sighs> yeah. You're not at the laugh factory. You're you're sitting there doing a contest. Bang, well, I forgot was it was 8 or 10 people it, and yeah. trying to bang it out one after the other. And you're just like, oh, man, that 
That hurt. <laughs> that went, I couldn't wait to get out of that room when I, when I got off that stage. And Brian came out and he's like, you told the same joke. I was like, I was like <laughs> right. I remember I go, what happened? And he's like, the guy before you told the same joke. And, and I had been... Only reason why I didn't listen to his set was because I was outside preparing for mine. Right. And so... Which every like every That's comic does everyone, like yeah. you like you know you're up next you go like go start running your set in your head and you if you're like if you're near the stage you can listen but like I was just like I need to not hear him talk so that I can hear myself think in your head do your routine yeah and God like the odds of that happening especially because like have you ever seen it happen since never Where it's back to back never That's the thing. It was back to back, yeah. was it? It wasn't even like an hour later at the club. So it wasn't even said, another night. It was like, like comics do the same thought or joke or idea all yes. the time. Yes. And but that for that to happen, right one after another, like that was just like divine. Like <laughs> this is how you start. This has to happen to you. And you got it out of the way, boy. Like, First night. Just winning, winning the worst lottery <laughs> you could possibly imagine. And, yeah, it was... How? I, <laughs> when I see pictures from that night, I'm like, Jesus. <laughs> Wearing your red shirt? The red shirt, yeah. I'm like, nope. <laughs> so... With the John Stewart, was there just an opening, uh, like a job opening? Because this is obviously before Glassdoor or anything like that. How did you find that job listing? Because I know I, a lot of people call it a contest, which is every job interview. <laughs> yeah, it's funny because like people were like, it was a, it wasn't a contest. It was I did a show with a guy who used to write there, and and I saw that a writer had left. Because I remember you telling me I, about it. Yeah, I watched the show religiously, so I saw a writer was leaving, and he got an on-air send-off. Mm-hmm. I was like, oh, that means there's an opening. And I remember hitting up, um, hitting, hitting him up and going, hey, do you, Robert Kuttner, do you know, like, what the submission process is like for Daily Show? Like, right. I wasn't even asking how can I submit. I just wanted to, like, know what it was like so I could practice. Right. So that way, if it, if it ever came up, if the opportunity ever came, I'd be ready for it. Because at that point, you had no full-time writing nothing. job. I was nothing. like, I was literally at home just doing stand-up or nothing. I didn't have any money. Right. It was just and, being Trey. <laughs> and yeah. And so, uh, he was, he, I emailed him and he responded, um, I'll have the head writer email you. He's like, I'll just have the head writer email you. And I was like, what? Like, that's not how this works. <laughs> And and I thought it was just like uh it's like never gonna happen. Like he just, just that's just his response. Yeah, like like why would the head writer of Daily Show email me a person, no agent, no manager, no nothing, just sitting here like of all the people I'm like who have reps and are probably gonna submit for this job, right. like how am I gonna oh, get in there? You know, there were hundreds of people that yeah. had already some experience. Sure. And then you're like, that's the first batch of people they're gonna like look into. And that Friday, I get an email from Tim Carvel, who was head writer of Daily Show at the time, about submitting for the show. And I was so, in my mind, not prepared for that. Well, why would you be? Because I was like... You hadn't done a job interview yeah, before. I, I'd never written on anything in my life before, never written on a show, never been staffed. 
And here is like the one show that I want to write for. The one show that I like my favorite show is like telling me I should submit for it. And I'm like, oh, man, like I was not prepared to do this right now. In my mind, I'm like, oh, one day I'll be writing for 10 years and then I'll get a job for to write on The Daily Show or I get an opportunity. Like I'm 26 <laughs> and the email has like all the instructions on how to write, for, how to do the submission. And and I almost didn't do it. I like out of what fear or just out of out of like it's not me. I'm not there. No, out of just like I can't do this. Like especially on this short notice. Like (laughs) I I don't I don't know if I can pull it off. I can pull it off. And and so the next morning because I got the email like or I discovered the email like one one in the morning. The next morning. <laughs> what in the morning? Yeah, because I. That's for their time. Well, he sent it long before that. Oh. But he he sent a second email saying, if you're getting this email, that means my first email went to spam. And I was like, I didn't even finish reading it. I went straight to my spam box and there his name was. And because I, when I saw his name in my inbox, my heart sank because I was like, I know all the names of the people on the show. And when I saw Tim Carvel, I was like, that's the right. that's the Daily Show head writer. And I like click it and it's like, and I see all the stuff and I'm like, okay. Um, I look at the thing and the next morning I go, fuck it. I'm just gonna do it and see what happens. And because my fear was if I suck, I'll probably never get another chance to write for this show. And then this is the thing I want the most. This is the show. This is the job I want more than anything in the world. And I don't know if I have enough experience to like to do it. Pull this off. Yeah. Right. And Cause so because I, I remember the kids when remember when we took you to a barbecue, you were going going to New York. We, we took you out <laughs> had the kids. And I was trying to explain they were young. I was trying to explain to them and I'm like it's like Trayvon's going to get to go to the Super Bowl all the time. <laughs> all the time. Because to them, they don't know John Daly to them. Or John Daly. John Stewart right. was, was nothing to them. Right. He, he wasn't on SpongeBob SquarePants, so that meant nothing. Right. And I'm like, he's, he's going to go to the Super Bowl. And they're like, oh. <laughs> Where? In New York. All the time? All the time. He's going to live there and do the Super Bowl every, every day. day. <laughs> like, oh. Okay, back to you know, SpongeBob SquarePants. <laughs> but they were so like blown away that like for you that was it. Right. That was a Super Bowl. It was, yeah. And when I when I did it and I got to the second round, I was like, oh shit. Like I might actually pull this off. <laughs> I'm gonna fool like I'm like, they I might actually like trick them into hiring me. <laughs> they have no idea. And, and uh and I'm just like, they're gonna find out I've never done anything before, like any, like whatever. And okay, then, what does your resume look at this point? For TV, there is none. No, like, like there's no, there's nothing. I have nothing to show. So it's just comedy. It's just stand up. All I right. have to show is stand up. I'm just like, this is what I have, guys. And so when in this in the second round, I came in second place, and they made a point to make sure I knew it so that they knew how close I came and how good they thought I was. And it was, and I still have that email saved on my phone, like a screenshot of 
both of the emails from Tim and Rory Albanese, the other showrunner, and of them being like, you came so close. Like, I got beat by someone who already works there, so I didn't feel that bad. Right. Like, from a different department. It's like, of course, they would have a leg up. They know how the show works. Right. Um, but, um, but also, like, she's a brilliant, funny writer. Like, it wasn't like she didn't have the ability. She was... But she had an inside track. I mean, so yeah, you I gotta, mean, she definitely knew right. more than I knew. And you're like, a kid. And it's like, of course, if it comes down to... I feel like just psychologically, if it comes down to outsider, person we know and love... And is like equal, all things equal, or, or like slightly greater. Why not pick the person you already love? Like I right. would, I right. probably would too. Absolutely, you and know what you're gonna get. Yeah, yeah. exactly. I, I've worked with this person right. for like eight years already. Right. Like we trust her. There's a relationship. Yeah. She understands the program. Exactly. Like there's gonna be no beats missed. Right. And it makes perfect sense. And that's a show you cannot exactly. start goofing up. Yeah. With. And so I was like, yeah, that makes sense. But they were like, but we still want to like keep in contact and possibly like if something changes right and something did change they like fired someone and there was an opening <laughs> and a week after uh, or no uh, a month after that oh that was August 2012 I go I'm going to Vegas to do shows and then I get a text from Roy Albanese about coming to meet John have a meeting with John the following week. So the first week of October, I go to New York and I have a meeting with John and I don't know what it's for because no one's telling me anything. And it, it seems like a job interview, but then like nothing happens at the end of our meeting. And, <laughs> and I just felt like, oh, well, I got to meet John, but also like this is the weirdest second prize ever. Like they just <laughs> kind of show you what you didn't get and then like send you on your way. And then at the end of the, at the end of the night after he did the show he offered me the job and I was just like lost it like I was just like my heart jumped out of my chest it was just like such a crazy crazy experience to like go there knowing thinking I'm just having a, a meeting to like be known to right. these people and then I'm, I'm they spring I, it on you I literally I still have my bank statement I went to New York with four dollars and change of my own and the three hundred dollars in per diem they gave me for the trip and uh i left new york with a job that was going to pay me like two hundred fifty thousand dollars a year and and that's before residuals right <laughs> and and i'm like what like how did this happen? What is happening? I can afford guacamole. <laughs> like <laughs> everything is changing. Like every like I'm going home with a job that I'm not a job, the, the job. job. The Super Bowl. And I kid you not, I was so scared to cross streets or like ride the subway or like anything where I could die. Right. I was like, I don't want to get hit by a car. I don't want to get hit by a train. I don't want anything to fall on me. Like, I just got to make it back to LA, pack up my shit and get out of town. And the day I left LA was the night before Hurricane Sandy. <laughs> so I flew into New York the, the night before Hurricane Sandy. And it was like, welcome to New York. This is us. <laughs> like, it was such a crazy, crazy experience. But man, it, it literally changed my life for like in every way possible 
Well, I am so happy for you. We're going to leave it at that. I'm going to track you down in a couple of months because I know you're a busy, busy man. But we're going to leave it right before the getting into New York and becoming a New Yorker. Yeah, yeah. All right? Let's do it. You're the best. Thank you <laughs> Thanks, for your man. time, man. No problem. All right. Just a good conversation.com where you